You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Alan Elias, Senior Vice President, Corporate Communications for Washington Mutual Card Services, goes on the record online. I think once a communications vehicle has been deemed, uh, you know, available to the masses, that there is also an argument to be said that they are doing full disclosure when they publish something on a blog because everybody can access it. Uh, so there's, that's where I think a lot of the uh, Reg FD, they're getting around a lot of the Reg FD uh, implications. And welcome to another episode of On the Record Online. If you're a regular listener of the show, welcome back. If you, this is your first time tuning in, uh, this is the podcast that tries to bring you the story behind the story. We go inside the worlds of the media, the news media business, and the public relations business to help you get a better picture of, of how things work behind the scenes, how uh, a press release becomes news, and uh, how information that's distributed to the media uh, winds up um, on those media outlets. Uh, we do that through interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, uh, as well as from time to time, we also feature bloggers, podcasters, newsmakers, uh, even PR professionals. And we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Um, today we have an interview with Alan Elias. He is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Communications for Washington Mutual Card Services. Uh, it was recorded uh, at the Media Relations 2006 conference in New York. Um, and I'm Eric Schwartzman. I host this show. I'm also the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. And we help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives through blogs and RSS and internet press rooms and websites and other new media technology. I'm also personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. The interview with Alan uh, runs around 15 minutes. Uh, if you are streaming this episode on the web and you would like to subscribe, uh, you can subscribe to the feed at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. When you get to that page, you'll see a series of badges. Uh, you can click on any of those badges, uh, the iTunes badge, the Yahoo Podcasts badge, the Odeo badge, the Podcast Alley badge, and that will allow you to subscribe to the podcast. What that means is that each time a new episode of the podcast becomes available, you'll receive it automatically, and there is no cost to subscribe. Now we are going to play for you the interview with Alan Elias after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. 
Alan Elias is Senior Vice President Corporate Communications for Washington Mutual Card Services, formerly Providian Financial Corporation. They are a provider of credit cards and deposit products to mainstream American consumers. He joined the company in January 2000 and is responsible for directing the division's employee and public relations activities, as well as managing the card, credit card division's social marketing and image enhancement programs. Prior to that, he was uh, responsible for leading Providian's community relations program, which included corporate philanthropy and employee volunteers uh, programs. And prior to that, he had 10 years at Hill and Knowlton, where he was responsible for leading the media relations, crisis communications, media training, and litigation support practices in the company's LA, Irvine, and Sacramento offices. And before that, he had 10 years as a broadcast journalist. I am pleased to have him with me on this podcast. Thank you very much. Sounding very old after all those years of experience, though. So we are here at the Media Relations Conference, uh, Media Relations 2006. You uh, spoke on a panel today. I did. What was that panel all about? Tell us about that. Well, we were talking about life after crisis, how to rebuild your image after uh, encountering difficult times, which all three of the panelists, including myself, have uh, gone through in terms of uh, company uh, either litigation or uh, scandal or, or media relations uh, problems. And uh, I thought we, I thought it was a great, it was a great panel. We, there's a lot of tips I think we left the people with. Give us an overview of the challenges that you faced and how you got through them. Well, Providian um, was a high flyer, it was a Wall Street high flyer. We were up to, at one point, $120 a share. And we even split stock back in, I think it was 2000 or 2001. And then a series of problems hit the company and caused um, a great deal of uh, shareholder uh, disdain and, and analyst disdain. And from that high price of 62 or so after the split, went down to $2 a share, and we were close to insolvency for quite for a while. And so we brought in a new CEO, a new management team, and a new sort of outlook, new policy on life there at Providian, and unveiled a new uh, marketing campaign, new logo, new positioning, and uh, it rolled out very, very successfully, in fact, until... Uh, about October of last year when we were uh, merged with Washington Mutual. Of everything you learned going through that experience, were there any real revelations or surprises that you took away from it? Well, I can tell you that the, the number one rule in crisis communications is to demonstrate action. No matter the situation, if you are handling it internally from an operational perspective, that's great. But if you don't tell the world, don't show the outside constituents that you're doing something to solve that problem, then you're going to have a, a mighty rough time of it. Now, because you're at a financial services organization in PR, not IR, I imagine, I mean, we're talking about stock prices here, not typically the, the type of thing you talk about in PR. Usually you say, oh, that's the IR guys, they handle that. I would imagine in your business, you work very closely with IR and Right, and very, very closely, because I think the, dy the dynamics in business have changed over the last several years uh, in that the work that you do on the communication side really has to have a business interest as a part of it. It has to help drive the business bottom line in one form or fashion, whether that's in enhancing the company's overall image so it becomes more a valuable entity or in helping to drive sales in one form or fashion. So I imagine, you know, you're, it's because you're dealing with executive managers who come from the world of numbers 
and you're involved in influencing matters that are fairly intangible, qualitative. How do you bridge the gap? How do you give them the numerical evidence for the effectiveness of your campaigns? Well, measurement is, the, of course, the $64 million question in the public relations industries. And there are a variety of ways to do it, and we're continuing to look and explore actually some new ways that, uh, that I'm not at liberty to talk about yet. Uh, of ways to provide measurement to show that the communications programs did have a direct impact, does have a direct value in providing uh, that uh, or in helping to provide those new accounts, those new, in our, in our case, new bank accounts, new checking account signups, um, things of that nature. And then, of course, you have some of the, you know, the old standby kinds of measurement tools of looking at uh, broad, you know, broadcast hits, newspaper hits, uh, uh, audience size. Uh, and then we also look and see the tone of the uh, newspaper hits or the media hits in general and to see whether it's a negative neutral or a positive tone and that's uh, important for us and that's uh, one of the things that our executives are looking for as well they want to know what the what the tone is in the uh, marketplace when you put out a press release nowadays and ages that press release is available online regular people can find it not just the media and i imagine you know if they click through that press release to your website they're a click away from you know getting information on a, on a home loan or opening an account or using your services so are you tracking that relationship between the the traffic being generated through the public relations materials that you're distributing and um, the introduction to the sales funnel or the e-commerce opportunities that you're offering offering online well we're looking at tracking in a number of ways whether it came from a Google hit or whether it came from a direct uh, uh, hit on the uh, website. For right now, for example, we have both providian.com still up as well as wamu.com. And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a bit of cross-selling going on between those two platforms, and we're able to track that as well. Uh, I agree with you in that the, the average consumer now has a lot more information at their fingertips. And they also have the ability to get a lot more disinformation at their fingertips, not knowing what they're reading is, whether it's truthful or not. And that's also... Uh, made our jobs as communicators a little more difficult. How are you keeping track of all the opinions on the blogs and the different uh, personal uh, websites and that sort of thing? Well, we have some monitoring uh, work that we do internally. We also have been hiring an outside vendor to take a look at it as well. Um, we keep an eye on it. I don't think that we are overly concerned with it. I mean, if the marketplace is the marketplace. Uh, you're going to have some people. When you have, for, in our case, we have uh, about 10 million customers, 10 million credit card customers. And as much as we try to make every single one of them happy, we know that there's going to be some complaints and that some people are going to be angry. That's just the nature of the beast. And while we try to fix it, we also know that, you know, that anger can be uh, transcended into other activities, including, you know, negative websites and uh, negative uh, mentions on uh, blogs or, or on uh, billboards as well. Let's talk for a little bit about Regulation Fair Disclosure. For those listeners who don't know about Regulation Fair Disclosure, it's um, a regulation uh, that's been put forth by the Security and Exchange Commission, which prohibits a company that's traded publicly from non-selectively disclosing information. How has the introduction of Reg FD changed the way you do your job? Dramatically. Uh, because when we communicate with our employees, we are communicating with investors. And you can't selectively communicate with a group of employees unless you go through some steps to make them insiders. 
because they're getting inside information that normally you would be able to provide employees, kind of letting them know what's going on and what the progress is in certain areas, how well you're doing on accounts, how well you're doing on, on a variety of metrics that in the past we would have disclosed to employees, but now we can't. So you have to look and find more creative ways to say the same thing to employees without having to use numbers or stats. Uh, that's one of the ways. And then on an external basis as well, their Reg FT has come into play in the same kind of manner where you can't go in and do an investor meeting with one. Maybe it could be your best investor, your top investor, the, the uh, group that owns the most stock. But you can't necessarily let on anything to them that you don't let on to someone else because that's, again, considered to be uh, a violation of the Reg FD uh, statutes under the SEC. So it has caused us all to be much more cautious. It's caused our legal departments to be much more aggressive. It's caused everybody who has contact with the outside world to go through Reg FD training as part of uh, uh, the, the uh, the, the legal department's responsibilities. So I, it's, it's changed a lot of things. I'm not necessarily for the better, but it's changed a lot of things. So generally speaking, how do you make sure that you're compliant? Well, you have to have a, a process in place that allows you to ensure that all the various groups are a part of the communications and that you'll have the appropriate sign-off from legal compliance or whatever the case might be to determine whether or not this information that you would like to communicate is in fact considered inside information. So processes have been put into play where it's an approval process for you know a press release for example uh, or even more so for an approval process for employee communications that you want to talk about some new product and or success on a product that you've launched and you want to tell everybody in Trump that success but you have to be very careful in terms of how you position that with employees because of Reg FD. It's kind of sad in a way that you can't tell your own employees about how well you're doing, but I you know, certainly understand the, the makeup of the statute. I don't know if you know anything about this particular incident I'm gonna mention, but there are companies out there that are publicly traded that have um, executive level managers who blog. And a lot of times they blog about material news and information. How are they getting away with it? You know, that's a great question, and I think it's a great question because the parameters of Reg FD haven't really been put to the test yet from a legal test perspective. I don't know that the SEC has really aggressively gone out there on the Reg FD side of the House. They certainly have done some enforcement action as a part of it, but I, I think that that's still evolving. Uh, I think that the interpretation of, of uh, material information is also one of those that's kind of squishy. What's material for... Washington Mutual may not be material for, you know, the XYZ company uh, and vice versa. So there's a lot of interpretation, and I think there's some wiggle room that comes into play. And then when you get into the blog area, you're talking, of course, First Amendment, and it's becoming, a, a, you know, a strange mix of, of communications and implications of communications out there. One example that comes to mind is Sun Microsystems. Uh, their president, Jonathan Schwartz, has a blog, and he kind of uses it um, – he, it, it has become a thorn in IBM's side, and he basically discusses what he believes are anti-competitive practices of his competitor. Uh, so you get some idea from a business uh, 
standpoint of how that company is leveraging blogs to influence opinion in the marketplace. Certainly, uh, you know, a lot of eyes are uh, always focused on the financial community for signals for where we might be headed. Right. And certainly you guys have a lot of inside information and insight on where we might be headed, at least looking at the past and if the past has any bearing on the future. Have you guys considered the um, possibility of using blogs to uh, get your message out there? We're continuing to explore it. Uh, I don't know that it's at the top of our list of ways to communicate, but we're certainly looking at it. We're certainly watching and tracking the popularity of blogs and whether it's something of a fad or whether there's something more long-term to it as it becomes a core communication strategy. I think that also, you know, once the, a blog has, I think back to the Reg FD issues just for a second, uh, and I'm not speaking as a lawyer, but I think once a communications vehicle has been deemed uh, you know, available to the masses, that there is also an argument to be said that they are doing full disclosure when they publish something on a blog because everybody can access it. Uh, so there's, that's where I think a lot of the uh, Reg FD, they're getting around a lot of the Reg FD uh, implications. Let's talk for a minute about Sarbanes-Oxley legislation. And I'll give you um, just a little anecdote of experience I had practicing PR uh, with Sarbanes legislation, Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, we were trying to get a executive at an ad agency that was publicly traded to talk to um, a, an advertising trade publication, a small advertising trade publication, but a well-known one, about a campaign that was coming forward. And uh, they wouldn't talk, and they said, we can't talk because of Sarbanes-Oxley. And then I talked to the reporter, and the reporter said to me, Sarbanes-Oxley is killing me. He says, every time I want to get somebody to comment on Sarbanes-Oxley, I mean on, uh, on news or something, they take the fifth, the fifth being Sarbanes-Oxley. So here this legislation that was set out to improve transparency and make it easier to get information seems, at least in this instance, to have made it more difficult to get information. What's your experience with the real impact, practically, of Sarbanes-Oxley? Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right that there are probably uh, great uh, uses of Sarbanes-Oxley in terms of increasing visibility and transparency, and then there are some unintended consequences that come into play. It has been very expensive for corporate America to implement. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's been a bad thing to implement, but it certainly has been uh, costly, and it continues to be so as, as new processes have to be put into place and new departments have to be built in order to follow all of the uh, statutes within Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, you know, I think probably overall it's still probably a good thing. It's still probably one way that uh, uh, corporate America can be as transparent as uh, possible. And I think probably some companies, in, including us, I think we go beyond in order to make sure that the, uh, the outside world understands, you know, what we're going through. But, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley is, you know, it's sh short for socks. It's certainly an uncomfortable pair of socks for a lot of companies. Corporate America has been in a difficult place uh, lately. Uh, from a public uh, opinion standpoint, I mean, we've seen, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of this Enron case. Uh, we've seen Tyco, Global Crossing, and uh, Edelman, the independent PR firm, does this um, trust barometer every year. Right. Uh, they're in their eighth year now. And they're saying that, uh, you know, companies don't have the trust of, of America. Um, how has all of this activity concerning corporate fraud affected your life? Well, I think that that... Edelman survey showed that there's not a lot of trust for a lot of 
different parts of society, including you know reporters and including uh, members of Congress and local elected officials. I think there's a lot of distrust in general that's occurring out right now, and that certainly makes it uh, more difficult for corporate America to be able to uh, to show that they're doing the right thing because it's not necessarily a story that you know news media are interested in. They're interested in the you know when the bad stuff happens. Uh, I think that it puts pressure on us as communicators in order to have to kind of break through that, that wall of uh, journalists and consumers who are skeptical. And I think it just means that we have to continue, work a little harder. We have to continue to repeat uh, messages and repeat uh, uh, anecdotes and things that will, that will let consumers, that will educate consumers, not only about the company and its products, but also about ways that the company is trying to uh, assist consumers. So for example, uh, with uh, both Providian now at WAMU, um, there's a lot of financial education and credit education that we have because we realize that the more our customers understand credit and its implications and what implications are of not paying bills on time or defaulting on loans or filing bankruptcy, that the more they understand that, the better it's going to be for, for both the consumers as well as the company. Now, you guys obviously have a huge home mortgage business, and, you know, rates are going up. Uh, how are you thinking about communicating the impact of rising interest rates with your constituents. Right. Well, I don't cover the home loan side of the equation in card services. Obviously, we have colleagues who are, who are working on that with the, the home loan group out of Seattle. As far as interest rates go for our constituency, it does impact them. I mean, we have the, mass, I'm sorry, the vast majority of our cardholders are on uh, variable rate programs. So when the cost of funds goes up for us, it's unfortunately going to have to go up for consumers as well, and it becomes more costly for everybody. And I think that part of the communication is to say to consumers, uh, is just to make sure that consumers understand that it's taking place. Make sure that consumers understand this is not something that's necessarily our doing, but we need to have you know, the flexibility of changing the interest rates in order to, to, have, uh, uh, to fund the business and in order to be profitable for our shareholders. Final question. There's a lot of speculation out there that you guys are going to be acquired. Is there any basis of, of those, uh, those rumors? I can't. There's nothing I can say. We don't comment on rumors and speculation. There's been rumors and speculation about buyouts and, and you know, invaders from space for a long time, and I'm afraid it'll just have to stay as speculation. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for talking to My us. My pleasure. I appreciate Thank it. you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.